listening to From Maker to Manufacturing, a podcast about what it really takes to grow a handmade business. Hey guys, welcome to episode four of From Maker to Manufacturing. I'm your host, Sarah Cooley. On today's episode, I talked to Kristen Lay, the founder of Thimble Press. Thimble Press is a lifestyle brand based in Jackson, Mississippi, and it's generally the most colorful brand I can think of off the top of my head. If you've ever met Kristen in person, or even if you follow her or her company on social media, you might get the idea that it's a generally really happy place to work, and that Kristen is a really happy person, which she is most of the time. But when I called Kristen for this interview, she was not having the best day. It was kind of early in the morning, and she'd already dealt with a couple fires. And as we all know, being a small business owner constantly means you never know what your day is going to turn out like. I think that the fact we did our interview on a day that was not necessarily ideal really helped the conversation into an honest place about what it really means to grow a small business. My favorite quote was Kristen talking about being able to plan ahead for the future of her business, and she said, I'm tired of reacting to things. I want to be ahead of the curve. I really hope you guys get a lot out of this interview, and if you do, please let me know on social media or leave a review on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate it. Now, let's get into the interview. Hi, Kristen. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi. (laughs) How's your Wednesday going? (laughs) Well, as you know, it's been a little bit of a crazy Wednesday, you know, being a business owner and then being sick with allergies and not feeling well. It's it's hard to want to rest and take that time to feel better. But it's it's a positive Wednesday, just playing catch up. We're going to try to make the best out of what isn't always a great situation being a small business owner. It's not all it's not all shiny happy times. Sometimes things are rough and you don't get a sick day. You don't get a day off. Yes, I, yes. I did take a sick day yesterday and I literally didn't even check email, which then makes today even crazier, but I needed yesterday to like get better otherwise it would have just been this continual just like feeling really sick. Sometimes you got to take that sick day. <laughs> it's important to take care of yourself. Okay, so before we get we keep getting into all of this, I want you to introduce yourself to all of our listeners um, who might not know you. Just a little brief introduction about you and a little bit about your business. Hi, I'm Kristen with Thimble Press. And Thimble Press is a lifestyle brand that produces products that we hope make you smile and laugh and happy. It's super colorful and fun. We've produced products ranging from stationery to gift items. We produce the push pop confetti that you see in a lot of Instagram photos. And really, we're just about making people's lives better through our products. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but we really feel like our products are in the midst of many celebrations and life's moments. And we feel like they add a little bit of happiness to any situation. So that's Thimble Press in a nutshell. I can go on to tell you about our wholesale and our retail, but 
Just well, giving you the overview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's so interesting that like right at the start you describe Thimble Press as a lifestyle brand because that is really what it has become but is that what you when you originally like started did you think I'm starting a lifestyle brand no I didn't even think I was starting a brand I just it was a hobby it was an Etsy shop (laughs) that I just I just ultimately like making things and I like making things that I love. And if I could do that for the rest of my life and still afford my life, I would, I'll be completely happy. Um, but it really did. No, no, I did not think it was going to be a lifestyle brand. I guess that's the answer to your question. What did you think it was going to be? No <sighs> hobby. side project? Yeah, a little fun thing on the side to do, you know. I don't really know what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm very, I'm a very driven person and I realized how quickly, I realized quickly like into it, how much I loved, loved it and loved making things and loved talking with customers and, and Mm. it, it really made such a difference. And I quickly realized that I wanted this to be more than a hobby. I wanted it to be something I did the rest of my life, which sounds corny and cheesy, but it's very true. I originally didn't think it would be a brand. I didn't think it'd be anything. And then I realized it was my passion that I was meant to do all along. And then I was like, I've got to like get it together and, you know, figure things out. And, and it's still a figuring things out, getting myself together day to day kind of thing. Um, every day is different. Every, every month is different. It's, it's wild. It really is. So let's take it back a second. When you first started Thimble Press, even just as an Etsy shop, as a hobby, what year was that? 2012. January 2012. Okay. And you were making cards in your garage? Or I remember I, f- I heard an oh, interview yeah. about what were, how did I you had, get started? Yeah. So I bought a letterpress in Kentucky. I had had a company before where I did branding and marketing for clients. And I moved back to Jackson, Mississippi and decided I was not going to do that anymore and ended up getting a full-time job with our, one of our clients at the time, which is a school that I went to high school with. And then I ended up loving that job and loving the eight to five when I started it. So I started it in my garage as a hobby. I leave work every day at four and we got off work and I would make things and I didn't have, I was just making things I loved to make, which revolved around paper. My major is graphic design in college. And um, <clears throat> my roommate at the time was going to craft shows and doing craft shows. And I was like, you can like sell this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you should start an Etsy and, and you should like go to craft shows too. And um, I was like, I don't, I never even thought about that. Like what? And so I started going to craft shows and started, um, kind of building my Etsy and I ended up getting asked when I was in Chicago of 2012 um, literally my first year in business I went to Chicago Renegade and I had a lady approach me and she said I worked for the show gift market which so sad no longer there but um, she was working for them at the time working on their emerging artist section and she said have you ever thought about wholesale and I thought I, have, I looked at her and I said I'm about to sound really dumb but I have no idea what wholesale is like no idea and um, she was like, well, it's selling your products for um, a lesser price so that a retail store can basically resell it. Um, and I thought, oh, okay. I've never really, like, ventured into that. And 
um, or even thought about that. And I really prayed about it and thought about it a lot. And as, again, I still had a full-time job and I thought, sure, I'll do the wholesale gift market. Let's just kick, let's just get a kick in the pants and try something new. And yeah, no big deal. It was actually pretty cheap. It was like 300 bucks. You got like a three by five space in Chicago gift market to do a little emerging artist booth. Well, a month before the show, she calls and says, the South African consulate has backed out. Um, we're going to give the emerging artist um, a 12 by 12 space for free. Like, no extra money. What? I was like, what? And it's on, like, the regular gift floor. Crazy. Oh, wow. Crazy. Such a God thing. So I ended up going to that market and again still with a full-time job still just an etsy you typed in symbolpress.com it didn't even take you to a landing page it just took you to my etsy and what some people will be like oh my gosh i can't believe that um but you know <laughs> i kind of have never done anything by other people's rules i guess so i was like why i mean we have a web presence it's on etsy whatever so i ended up getting picked up by and um, one of our rep groups, Daniel Richards, and that still reps us today. And I remember leaving that show going, oh my gosh, like Paper Sources picked, just picked us up and Daniel Richards, this is insane. And when I say pick us up, they requested samples. So they didn't have an official PO in yet, but um, purchase order. And, but I still, it, and we picked up a few accounts, new accounts like Poppins. They were one of our first accounts. And, um, um, there's a couple other ones that were our first accounts and I love them so much and we'll never forget them. And so I left with a pretty good like stack of new accounts. Again, not really knowing much about wholesale. I mean, I like did a crash course online. Like I Googled like what is wholesale.com. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew how to build a catalog out. I built that. I did that because I'm a graphic designer. So that was in my wheelhouse. So I had that down. That was easy for me, which some people that's a struggle for. So I did that. And, um, and then I had a mentor tell me, she said, well, you know, this is your year. You need to do the stationary show this year. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not ready. And I have a full-time job. Like, there's no way they're going to let me off a week. Somehow they did, and I went and did the station show with a full-time job, and remind you, still did not have a website, just an Etsy. What month was, was the gift market in Chicago, like January? Oh, January, freezing cold, okay. negative 12 degrees, so, yes, that was in January, and then the, the station show, I didn't actually sign up for it until March of the year that I was doing, it, it was just crazy, um, but somehow I like did it and made it work, and it was okay, Um yeah, that's kind of how it all started. And then we've been doing stationary show every, every year since. And then we just finished our third New York Now show this past January. And we're going to go again in August. And I feel like the years go by faster now. And it's just, it's crazy how everything happens. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited uh, about what's to come and the changes that we've made in our business and systems that we're implementing and, um, but again, I, I still, every day is different. I take it day by day. And I was on the, I was talking to you, Sarah, earlier before we started this podcast. And I was like, today is the worst. And <laughs> maybe we shouldn't talk today. Maybe we shouldn't talk today because I'm, I probably don't have the best attitude. And I mean, my bad attitude is actually probably someone's good attitude. But, um, <laughs> 
But, you know, and she was like, you know, I think that's good to share that because not every day is a good day. And it's all not like hearts and kisses and lovely times all the time. And so I did want to share with you guys. I had a, I've had a bad day today. And it's not always perfect. And it's not always great. And um, as long as you can pick yourself back up, you know, realize and just go at it day at a time and figure out how you can get through that day then you'll be great and don't get bogged down by the things that you can't control and um by someone's copying you or someone's instagram comment or you know you just mm-hmm. you just have to keep forging through um or your taxes or you know because it's like tax season right now but yeah, it, it's been a whirlwind experience. And I, I really honestly figured out about myself that through all of this is that I don't like an eight to five job. I like working for myself. I do better working for myself, even if it's I don't have as much money or even if I don't, you know, get as much sleep. It's much more satisfying for me to build something on my own. So. I think it's great for people to hear you talk about, you know, not every day is great. I think that your personality, especially, I thought it was really funny when you said maybe my bad day is someone else's good day because you are one of the most bubbly, like happy (laughs) people that I know. And, but it's reflected also like in, in your brand and in a lot of the decisions that you've made, um, with your line. But I think that what's important for a lot of people to see is a lot, a lot of the things that you, pushed through in order to do in that first year are things that a lot of people would initially just dismiss and say, oh, well, I can't do that. That's crazy. Or I can't do this when I have a full-time job. Or I can't do the stationary show my first year in business. Or I can't, you know, whatever. So without even trying or really looking at the feasibility of that and realizing how much just pushing forward and taking those leaps of faith um, initially will really speed up the growth and allow you to keep moving forward because at the end of the day the thing that keeps your business moving forward is sales it's cash and if you don't do the bigger shows if you don't keep pushing yourself to be bigger and to grow then eventually the sales will slow down and and then you'll just kind of die without any cash in the bank like cash is the lifeblood of the business and it seems crass to constantly like be talking about money or be worrying about sales but if you don't do those things and you don't get in front of people for them to see the product then it doesn't grow you 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 have no money to do the things that are in your head you can have all of the the plans and aspirations but when you have no money in the bank you can't do those things you can't create those new products because you're just stagnant right exactly we were actually just talking about that before we got on the phone um no that's so true like I, I wish I could just make things like my head is filled with ideas galore like if someone could just pay me for my ideas, like, as a side job, I would love that. Like, I love making things that I don't see in the world. And, like, I wish I could design my own car. Oh, my gosh. I think women should always design cars. They would have, like, 45 cup holders. Um, but, <laughs> but seriously, uh, it, it does. Cash flow is a, is a major thing in a business. And that's why we're always trying to stay on top of our like communication with customers via either social media or direct mail or um, email marketing. And because there's so many brands out there in the world that you can sometimes get lost amongst the shuffle if you're not like pushing yourself. And sometimes I feel too pushy about it. 
Um, but then I see other people like doing it way more than we are. And I'm like, oh, we're cool. We're cool. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's good. It's okay. Um, but, and you know, in a small business, there's going to be ups and downs and fluctuations of the market. Like March and April are usually much slower on the consumer end because there aren't any major holidays. So there's, it's always going to be, you know, the sales are down at the beginning of January. We see a lot of sales, which is crazy. Um, and then it usually starts to pick back up like midsummer, the sales, um, consumer wise. And that's why we kind of, we do wholesale and, and direct to consumer sales because a, I love interacting with our customer, just like being in front of our customer. I love that. And then B it having those two channels is, it provides ways for your company to grow because your cash flow is coming from two different places versus just one place, um, being direct consumer sales, um, wholesale, the, the months there is usually continuous. People are always buying, um, not as much as some months, but it's, again, it just provides more capital for us to grow. And then we do also like licensing and we do custom work. Um, not custom, like, we did collab brand collaborations. We've actually stopped doing like custom invitations and custom stuff like that just because it ultimately isn't where my heart is. And I felt like it was taking away from me spending time trying to grow the company. And so because of that, we don't do that anymore, but we do collaborations with brands. We do, um, licensing. I still love that cause I love creating artwork. Um, so we do that kind of stuff. So you touched on two different things that I like both had on my list. So the first one is just about your general like product line and creating. And the second is talking about the collaborations with brands. So we'll save that for for uh, in a little bit. But first, I kind of wanted to just talk about I know how much stuff is in your head and how many products you would just love to make. And most of your line is out of products that you felt like needed to exist in the world. So your product line is really large. I don't know how many SKUs you have, but I'm going to estimate it's more than what the average even paper gift company would be on a smaller like independent scale. Um, So how do you go about releasing new products? And then kind of on the backside of once those products come out, how long do you really give yourself to determine if they're working? Do you discontinue them quickly or do you leave them for like a long time to kind of see if they will pick up or you know how do you kind of handle your release your release plan with with new products so when I first started I would just make stuff and put it out on the website when I wanted to like literally like didn't have a schedule even early on in wholesale I would just like make things I loved and not even think about like oh you know, it was just like, cause greeting cards are easy to produce. I feel like they're not that difficult and the costs aren't super high because it's not a super expensive product. Um, and so I would just, we would produce a ton of products that I loved and wanted to do all at once. And, um, we've, I've slowly realized the best way for us is to, is, or the best products for us are, are unique products that no one else can really, that no one else does. Um, because the market has become so saturated that I've actually moved away from traditional greeting cards and we're really approaching greeting cards in a different way now and trying to do specialized ones that no one else is really doing or no one else has done or ones that don't look like anyone else's. And in terms of like the printing processes and the, like our confetti cards and we're about to release them in May that we don't have never seen in the world. They're pretty cool. 
And so our unique gift items, our push-pop confetti, our kindness cards, our Bible verse boxes, our, you know, all that stuff that is unique to us does the best. And our, we're making our release and our launches smaller. So because we really feel like we want to give each product its own special spotlight. And when we were producing 97 products in one release, like, how are you supposed to spotlight and really focus on marketing all those products? Like you can't like that's so many. And even, even at our capacity and having an Instagram and having a Twitter and a Facebook and a blog, like there's no way we'd be able to tell everyone about all those products and give them each their own special light. And so I really wanted to focus more on that now. And so each release we do is going to be very small but it's going to the products are going to be like even more thought through and even more exciting than we've had before because we're really trying to take that time with them and develop them and then I actually as of 3 days ago have figured out our releases up until August 2018 what which is crazy which is crazy I know oh my goodness we I'm so tired of reacting to things and I feel like I'm always putting out fires and I want to be ahead of the curve and I don't want to be behind. And when I say behind, like I feel like I'm constantly playing catch up with how we market things, how we do things, our e-blasts, our blogs, like I feel behind. I want to feel ahead, like photo schedules, like all that Mm -hmm. for photo shoots. And I want to be ahead of the curve so that I can spend more time planning each of those out Mm -hmm. and really focus on each of those and not feel like I'm constantly just breezing through the steps. So yeah, I'm like trying to get on it and I may even try to start scheduling out January 2019 after that. But we've decided that like, I really like the, I really love themes so the way we're going to be scheduling out our releases is by different types of themes. And what that is, can't say right now. But, um, you know, you can give a theme party or something. Maybe it's an 80s party. Well, maybe then if it's an 80s, I'm not saying this is one of our themes. But if it's <laughs> your whole theme is 80s, then all of the products would revolve around like 80s or something. So we're just, I'm trying to, I think that would then help keep us more focused on one central idea and keep me more focused on our development of our products than having just products that we love willy-nilly coming out. So I think it's going to work out, and it will keep us a little more concise and, um, and structured because sometimes I'm all over the place, and I need some boundaries. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about this next year of us trying to kind of, like, leap ahead of the curve and not always be like, oh, crap. The catalog is supposed to be the printer this time. This, you know, this is due then. Da, 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 da. And so mm-hmm. I constantly feel like it's like that. Yeah. Um, so, again, hoping to get it in front of that this, this next year. I mean, to be that far out is, is amazing. I'm just starting to realize how much I need to be on, you know, on the right cycle. Even this past trade show season in January I could tell I was behind I could tell our catalog should have been done in November like all of this stuff and I was so busy with everything else it it's amazing to me how much in front of all of it you have to get um but it I think it's great to and and really an important tip to know that like you can plan out your whole year you can plan out two years I have two years maybe planned out in my head but writing it all down on paper and and really coming up with the actionable items is a little bit of a different story but um Um, it's important to know that when you have a business, especially a business that is, 
has a decent percentage of wholesale, the cycles are the same. It's easy to predict when you're going to need to do X, when you're going to need to do Y, and like how it all kind of times out because every year is pretty much kind of like the same cycle. If you know the shows you're doing, you know when you need to have releases, you know when catalog proofs need to be done and all that stuff, you can start to really plan better and just feel like you have a better understanding of you know, what your year is really going to look like. Right. So now go- moving on to some of the larger you know, collaborations you've done with other brands. Um, the first one was the first big one you guys did with Glitter Guide. Yeah, I guess. Um, maybe we've done some smaller ones here, there, but we did one like with Keds. Um, that oh, may yeah. have been before, before Glitter Guide. Um, we did a blanket with June in January. I think that was right around the same time as Glitter Guide. And then we, we launched Glitter Guide in December, like the end, like December 27th, 2014 is actually the day we launched Glitter Guide on our website. That's crazy. I remember the exact date. Um, <clears throat> but we had a big launch party at our shop and it was wow. really fun. And <clears throat> yeah, that was really neat. And um, we actually did all the production and all everything on that. And then Moving forward, though, we're kind of looking to do. We did. We released Hallmark's collaboration this past, um, I guess, January, February-ish. We announced it. We've been working on it for over a year, and we did seven cards with their signature series. That was really fun. And honestly, those are my favorite types of collaborations where we just do the artwork and come up with the ideas and concepts, and then they actually produce it. Right. Those are really the the collaborations that we're looking for moving forward just because it takes a lot of capital for us to have to produce the product in the collaboration and a lot of extra time. So we really like partnering with companies who really want us for our ideas and for our artwork and for all that, not necessarily for production collaboration. It w- it's for a product, but they would actually the produce it so um so it's more on like the licensing spectrum of things like original artwork that you're creating for these products or even designing the products but then they're the ones doing all the manufacturing doing all the selling yes yes exactly that's really my favorite (laughs) um type of work when you when you first were like okay let's just say the keds collaboration for example was that something that they approached you or did you kind of seek that out no, they approached us about it, um, and they wanted push pops for their um, holiday gift boxes. So we did, um, and then we did some photos with their Kate Spade glitter shoes, and um, that was really fun. That was a small collaboration. Um, and then Glitter Guide, we produced all the product, and then Hallmark, they produced it, and we just came up with the ideas and the artwork. So what are some like recommendations you might have for artists um, and, and kind of designers if they like tips for working with larger brands, um, any like potholes or, or things people should watch out for when they get approached kind of out of the blue and they're, you know, you want to just say yes to everything because you want your business to grow, but that's not always the best strategy. I think it's finding brands that, that go well with your brand that you really feel like represent your brand well. Um, like we would never do a collaboration with someone that was like, I don't even know what the word for it is, like very opposite of us. Like we, even if they were huge and massive, it just wouldn't make sense mm-hmm. for us to do that because their customer is someone completely different than us. And that's really not our North star. Like, you know, it's not where we're like looking to go. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I feel like if you're an artist looking to collaborate with someone, you would want to seek out companies that are kind of like-minded as you, that maybe represent some of the same core values as you. <clears throat> maybe they have the same color interests. And, um, you know, we like to work with companies on the things that they do, but also who they are. Like, we like nice people, and we like working with nice people um, that make nice products. And so someone's attitude can completely affect the way that, or can affect the decision if we work together or not. Um, but to me, like artists sometimes are too afraid to reach out. And these days with the internet, it's so easy to reach, to like find someone's contact information or even mailing address and send them something saying, I really love your brand and I'd really love to work together. And the thing is you may get like a hundred rejections, but what if you got like one yes? then it's the foot in the door for a collaboration. And then once you have one collaboration, it probably would give you a little more footing um, to seek other collaborations because you can say, well, we've done a collaboration before, so this is how mm -hmm. we structured it in the past. Um, and then don't be afraid to ask what you're worth. Um, you know, if you feel like you're not going to be getting enough like money for what you're going to be doing, don't be afraid to just ask because you're too afraid to lose the collaboration. Because um, ultimately, if you feel like you're not being if you're not getting enough money for what you're doing, then you're not going to put as much heart into it because you're really like pissed off that you're not really going to be getting a sweet deal out of it. Um, but in some collaborations, you may not want to get a lot of money because it's such a big company. You just want to have that on your resume. You want that on your, on your, this is who we've collaborated with. So mm. I think it's just a gut feeling, like a give and take, like, is this good for me? Is this right for me? And ultimately you're the person who's going to be able to answer that. So if you love a company, never be, and you make a product and they make products, but you make something very different from what they do, reach out to them. Like, why not? And even if they say they can't do it now and they're like, but check back with this later, we'll keep that email, set it up in Boomerang to email them back in a year and say, hey, you know, like use your, your digital tools. Like I love Boomerang. It's on Gmail. You can schedule emails from a year from then or from six months from then. So the auto emails, I'm going to remind them like, then remind them six months from then, hey, remember I emailed you and you said you couldn't do it this time. Do you think you could do it now? Mm -hmm. You know, just constantly staying on top of it. Um, that's what I would recommend um, for any artists that are looking for collaborations of some sort. It's important to really kind of like find those like-minded companies because your brand is kind of all you, all you have. And if you associate it with something that's not going to not going to also bring you value kind of like going back to how much you're you know how much financially are you getting paid but then also like how much value is it going to bring based on how well suited are you to collaborate with this brand are their customers your customers are you going to get more visibility and and all that kind of other stuff is is important to consider I think for for smaller brands um and even smaller like independent single makers if you are going to gain more from it that you know that's something important to consider but at the same time don't totally devalue yourself because I, I do think that what you said is right it does affect the quality of the work eventually you're just angry and frustrated that it's taking so long collaborations take a long time there's a ton of back and forth if you're just not happy with the situation from the get-go it's going to affect your work and and your whole kind of output yeah it will so I know a little bit about you know, when you guys, when you hired your first employee and your second employee and how kind of 
the company started to grow in the beginning. And I think you've talked about that in other interviews. But I want to talk more about in the last year. Your team has continued to grow very quickly. I don't know how many how many employees total are you guys now? Well, we're actually there's right now we just had someone move to North Carolina. So sad. And we're about to have someone else move to Nashville. So sad. Um, so we're actually looking to hire replacements for them, but there, there will be eight total full-time people, including myself. And then we have about seven to eight, give or take, um, part-time. Okay. And then my question is really about, you know, company culture. And as you bring on new people, how do you maintain the culture that you have? And then also, how do you kind of instill your brand values into your new employees? Is there like something as official as like an onboarding process? Or kind of how do you get them to really understand the whole spirit of Thimble Press and like what you guys are all about? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, Hiring a team member, I can tell in five minutes in an interview if you're, you're going to do well on our team or not. Because it's for me, you have to be able to get along with everyone on our team mm-hmm. and jive with everyone on our team to stay on our team because we're open floor plan. Like we're very transparent. Um, we all work together as a team. It's, you know, it's very much a team driven business. And so I get, I can get that feeling of willingness to learn and grow in an interview. Like, so easily. Um, so basically we do have a systems manual. We have an employee handbook that we've been working on for a long time. And in there, it does talk about the culture of our business, but ultimately, I mean, we kind of have a feeling if you'll be able to get it or not early on. I don't know if there's any necessarily training into being on our team. And that way we have training for like each position, Mm -hmm. but I kind of like to tell people, like, let's, if I don't really know for sure if it's going to work or not, I'm like, let's try three months. If in three months, let's revisit both of us and you tell me how you're feeling and I'm going to tell you how you're feeling. Um, A lot of our full-time team members have come from our assembly team and they've been amazing and they've actually sought opportunities for growth in the company, which is great. That's been really awesome to see that happen and to see them grow that way. But they're really, like I said, there is no, like, formal process to bringing someone on board um we let we just let them know how we do things here and we kind of let the people know that in the interview though that we are very open and that we laugh and we and we play but we have a we work really hard and we're not you know one for you know each other we're one or we're not one for you know just our single selves we're, we all work together so say your your duties for the day that you normally do, you don't have anything else to work on, which is rare, then you'll go jump in and say, ask someone on the team, where can I help? Where can I like lend a hand? And that's, I think, the perfect culture for us because for me as a, as a leader in our team, I really try to establish personal growth and I try to encourage them to grow. And so um, I don't want this to just be like this dead end job they come to every day and just punch a clock and leave like I want this to be an experience and I want this to be part of of who they are and grow and become an even better person while working here if that sounds so cheesy and new agey but I I I mean these people are my family so to get come on board with us it's like I don't want to say it's an honor because it sounds really weird but (laughs) it's like I must I really have to like you and our team has to really like you and because you basically become our family I mean we're at work every day I mean, we see each other probably more than we do our 
family because this is work. We're here eight to five. I mean, so if you think about it, you really got to get along with these people. And so um, if you can't have fun, if you can't laugh, if you can't, you know, be a team player, then it's probably not going to work out. But that's basically it. It's very casual how we bring people on. But I kind of just know. It's like a gut feeling. I think that if you as the business owner know the company culture, then you will be able to, like you said, tell in five minutes, have a good gut feeling. I think one of my worst experiences was hiring somebody and and being wrong, having them leave in less than two weeks and feeling like I did something wrong when ultimately it was just something in her personal life. It was a situation that was outside of my control, but ultimately it really shook my judgment of what, what kind of person we needed on the team or like what the company really needed because I thought, wait, am I not able to, am I not a good judge of character? Am I not, you know, am I a bad boss? Is this a horrible job? And you start to really doubt yourself. But I think that if you think back to when it was just you or when it was just you and somebody part-time, you know, what's some advice you would give to like current solo makers, like to have the confidence to take that leap to hire your first employee? Because now that you have employees and I have employees, you once it's kind of over that little hump, you totally see the benefit. But taking that leap is like such a scary thing. So kind of what what would you encourage it, it, them? It, it, it is. Um, because I remember hiring my first person. I was like, I don't want to bring anyone on. And now I'm like, I want to hire everyone in the world to help me. Um, <laughs> but I mean, ultimately the person that I brought on first and foremost was someone who came up night after night working on my booth for my first show at, in New York at NSS. And she helped for free and she, <clears throat> she gave it herself selflessly and didn't ask for anything in return and it became very evident that she would be a great asset as a team member and I think the biggest thing is when you do have team members checking in with them and always having like as our team grows we have team meetings and the times we haven't had them that you can definitely tell an effect in the team because not everyone knows where everyone's at and so I think having those weekly team meetings is super important but then also having um individual meetings with your team, like asking them, where are you? Like, why do you want to be here? Why, you know, and I think those are the questions you ask in the beginning, but I think as you grow and as a team member grows, you know, it's, do you still love working here? Like how, how's your schedule? Like, are you, how, what value are you bringing to the company? Cause ultimately if someone can't provide the value that they're bringing and tell you what exactly they're doing, then they really shouldn't be working at your company. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at a small company, small companies cannot afford to keep people on that. They're not bringing something to the table, bottom line. But I think as long as you're like open and communication with them and expressing like what you need from them. And especially as you grow as a company in that per- the person that's on with you, the first, you know, you may be your first employee as you grow, their position will grow and you just need to make sure that you're constantly communicating with them. Is this what you want to be doing? You know, because as the company grows, the needs will grow and then her, the, her or him, their duties will be split between two people or three people. And it's like, you don't want to just push them into something that, that you just think they need to be in. You want to consult with them because they've been with you from the beginning. Like, where do they see that? Where do they want to be? Where do they see them? Right. Uh, see fitting in the best as those d- duties become divided amongst more people and those duties become more and more rigorous. And so I think it's just communication is key and never assuming things about people. That's just, I mean, first and foremost, the best thing and just 
lots of transparency about where you are, where your company's at, because if they know, then they understand and they get it and they see. And I think that's just important in a small company and probably in any company. You know, when you're when it's just you in your business, you, you don't have to ask anybody for permission. You don't have to check with anybody. You know, you're making you're driving the bus, but it's not a bus. It's like a motorcycle. You don't you don't have any passengers. You know, you don't have anybody with you. But then when you bring people on, all of a sudden, you know, it's not just, OK, you're driving and someone else is along for the ride. All of a sudden, your role very quickly changes. I remember feeling like at, at a certain point. I had hired people and then I was sitting around in my office like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Right. Like, do you making that transition to like being being the boss, being there and caring for their, you know, for their job? And like you said, caring for like, are they enjoying their position? Are they growing? Are they all of these other managerial things that weren't what you were initially doing when you just started you know, printing things on a letterpress and selling them on Etsy. Those are two very different things. Being like uh, being a business owner with eight to 12 employees is a very different job. Did you find that transition difficult or did you think that that was, no, do you feel like that was always no. kind of part of you? I, I feel like I need 10 more people because my inbox is 37 emails right now that need legit responses. Email is my, I hate email. Like, hate it I would rather someone call me and get it over in five minutes than me have to like write an email back I'm very like bleh um and I feel like other people can relate but my inbox is constantly overflowing we always have things going on and the more people you bring on the more opportunities you have the more growth you're gonna have it's just it just happens and I've never once sat around thinking I don't know what to do because I have I'm sitting here at my desk and I'm surrounded by tons of paperwork with stuff because it becomes about running the business and financials and all this stuff that you didn't really sign up for. <laughs> but, um, you know, and so really my time is split between creative uh, thinking and product development and art and then running the business with like the numbers and taxes and emails and then um, managing like larger collaborations. And when you bring on someone new and I work really fast, I don't have to ask anyone what I do. I don't have to ask for permission. I don't have to ask if, if someone likes this or anything. I make the decisions. I go. So it is hard when you hire a new team member that they move a lot slower than you do. Mm -hmm. And eventually they won't. But it, at first you're like, Oh, I could get, be getting this done so much quicker. So sometimes it's hard because it's like, I need this done, I need this done two days ago. But it's not that they're not working hard and trying to do it. It's that they don't, they're not you. And they need that time to develop and they need that time to train and become better at those tasks. I've been doing a lot of those tasks for a long time. You know, you just can't, again, you can't assume someone's going to be able to pick up as quickly as you have been doing things. So I think it, there's always that training, that lag in the beginning. But as long as you can have patience, which is my advice, and you can just go with the flow and be okay with knowing that they're, they are not you and they're not going to do things just like you. But at the same time, they're going to bring so much more to the table because they have other opinions, they have ideas, they have things in their head and so that's the beauty of working with people is that they are not you um I think if I had to work with eight of me I would probably die um because <laughs> I'm so I do work really fast and I'm, I want things now and then I'm not patient at all so it's good to have team members on my team that are completely opposite of me that are super patient that are very like 
go with the flow in terms of they take their time to do their tasks, but they do it well and there aren't any mistakes. Um, and they're also willing to learn, but they also have opinions and they have ideas of how things can be done better. I truly value every team member's opinion of mine. And I, I love their ideas. And because truly, if they love their job, they want Thimblecrest to be better. They want your business to be better. And so they're not going to offer up ideas they think are crappy. They're going to really try to genuinely make your company better. So that's a huge thing having a team can bring to the table. I think that it's it's kind of amazing to see you grow, you know, grow a team and and to grow as, you know, a business owner, right? Like you mentioned earlier, there is this whole other side of running the business that, I mean, I didn't really sign up for. I I do like it, but it, but it's not what you necessarily envisioned in your head when you were like, I'm just going to, you know, make things and sell them. And um, the taxes and just, just not even just tax time, but like keeping up with the books during the rest of the year. If you if you're good at it and you stay on top of it, it's so much easier than when you haven't looked at it for four weeks and all of a sudden you have this pile that you have to deal with. Um, it, it's this whole other skill set that you're you're learning, and if you have the right personality to handle all of those things, I think it it becomes a lot easier if you just like learning new things and you like kind of tackling it and and getting over the um, the things that are difficult, but if you are easily frustrated by those things, it it's good to realize what you lack. And when you're hiring employees, look for people that have skill sets or personalities that are different than yours that complement you, but also that, like you mentioned, they they fill in a like a missing piece of the puzzle that you don't have. Right? Maybe they're very meticulous. Maybe they're you know. Maybe you're not that fast, but they're very fast. Whatever it is, right? You know what you're missing. And instead of necessarily always trying to be perfect in something that you're not good at, instead decide, I'm never going to get good at this. I'm never going to like doing this. I'd rather hire a bookkeeper. I'd rather whatever. Sometimes it's good to realize like what needs to come off of your plate because you're just not you're not managing it well and, and you're never going to be excited about managing it. So instead of constantly forcing yourself into something that you hate, realizing like, okay, this is something I need to put on someone else's plate, whether you find a part-time, you know, service contractor or you're just, this becomes one of your employees' other jobs. Depends on what you love to do. Some people outsource social media. Some people outsource their email. It just depends on what you like and what you don't like, you know? Yep. Okay, so I think we're almost done. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I have a few little rapid-fire questions that we do at the end of every episode. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. They're not complicated. I'm on a lot of allergy medicine right now, so it might be really slow-fire for me. <laughs> Maybe rapid-fire is a little, um, a little much overselling it. Okay. <laughs> Who is the first person you go to for advice, business or otherwise? My mom. If you were starting your business from scratch today, what would you do differently? Gosh. Probably not launch as many products at once as I've had in the past, but we're changing that. That's good. You learn from, from your mistakes. Past, past mistake. I didn't want to say mistakes, but you said it. So. I, don't even, yeah, I, don't, I don't even know if it's a mistake. Uh, it's just what happened and uh, it's not that it was a bad decision. We've sold all those products. It's just 
it was a, it's just too hard to market that many products at one time. For sure. But what do you think is the biggest misconception people have about your business or about running a small business in general? Oh, people think we throw confetti around all day and that we like, <laughs> roll, we, like roll around in glitter and like don't work. Um, that's, but you know, that's the perception that we put out, which I'm fine with that. If people want to think that like, you know, but that is a misconception, but we're fine with it. Um, and then, um, trying to think. I don't know. I think that's probably it. What was the first question though? It was not just about a misconception people have about your business, but about running a business in general. Do you think there's something that people go into it that they like really underestimate, or do you think everyone that starts it really knows like, uh, has a good grasp on, on the it? Type of I think it depends on the type of business, but I think people, especially in the type of business I'm in, the people underestimate the amount of like business skills you really actually need and that I, that you end up doing a lot of business like things day to day that you never thought you'd do as a creative person. Um, so for me, like I want to eventually go back and get more education on, I mean, I'm like a fine arts major, um, and get more of a like formal business education, um, from a college. But you know, if you're, if you're, willing and able to learn. Like I read a lot of books. I research a lot. I read a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't read podcasts. Um, (laughs) and I try to do the best I can every day. Um, and so I think if I'm doing that, it's pretty good, but I would like to go back and get some formal training at some point. I also love reading books. Although sometimes I do the audio books because I, I can't sit still and just read for that long, but um, the idea of going back to school for me makes me want to cry and rock back and forth in a corner because uh, I did not do well in formal education, like in co- on the college level. It was not it was not for me. But I totally love learning and I love absorbing information from other smart people, which is like one of the secretly selfish reasons that I do this podcast. What are some of your like favorite business books that you've read that you would recommend to people? Um. I love the book Uncontainable by Kip Tindall. He's the um, CEO and founder of the Container Store. Um, he talks a lot about how he puts his, his employees first, which is what I try to do up at the Bull Press, and about how he grew his business. Um, that was one I would definitely recommend. Okay, last one. What's more important, dreams or plans? Oh, dreams for sure. I don't know. Plans are too. They're both equally important because if you don't have plans, you can't have put your dreams into action. But I would rather be a dreamer than a planner. I can hire someone to plan for me. That's very true. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you have a very busy day, but thank you so much for joining me. You're I really welcome. appreciate it. Making you time it amidst fun. all the rainbows. We'll, <laughs> we'll give people some reality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Kristen. Bye, Grizzly. Thanks for listening to episode four of From Maker to Manufacturing. I'm your host, Sarah Cooley. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Cooley, on Instagram at Simply Curated, and you can follow Kristen on Instagram and Twitter at Thimblepress. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And please, if you have a minute, leave a review on iTunes. It will really help more people find the podcast. You can find more information about the show as well as notes from this episode at FromMakerToManufacturing.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye.